Welcome to the study of God's Word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Let's do a Bible study. Church, would you all open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 1. The title of our message is The Strong Support of the Lord. Uh, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible that contains some of the most uh, powerful promises in the Bible are found in this chapter. And uh, so let's pray and then just receive from His Word. Father, we do thank you for sending your word in power. And we know that you send it forth with your heart to transform us, to draw us to yourself, to build a foundation for our lives. So God, we just open our heart to receive from you. Be glorified and honored as we have this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, chapter is really about the question, on whom do you rely? The eyes of the Lord, it says, are searching for those who, whose heart is, is fully His, that He might show Himself strong in their behalf. It's one of the great promises, because this life is filled with tremendously difficult troubles. And we need a foundation. We need to know on whom we can rely. On August 19th, 2014, at 5.03 p.m., our daughter was killed. Uh, she was 29 years old at the time, mother of two. Uh, she was murdered by a stranger who just wanted to know what it felt like. And it shook us to the very core. I tell you, when you go through storms like that, you know whether you have a foundation to stand on or not. And I tell you, you know, uh, God promised that he would never leave me. And he never has. He promised to walk with me even to the valley of the shadow of death. And he has walked with me every step along this troubled path. And I know on whom I can rely. And the promises in this chapter is for you to take hold of as well. God wants you to know that you can rely. And not only that, but he is looking for those in whom he can show himself strong in their lives. So that brings us to Second Chronicles 16. Now, the backstory is very, very important. The nation at this uh, point uh, in time is divided. Ten tribes in the north, two in the south, Judah and Benjamin. The king at the time was King Asa. He was great-grandson of King Solomon. And at first it tells us <clears throat> that Asa did well. Uh, he did good and right in the sight of the Lord. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, God of the fathers, uh, to observe the commands and laws of God. And the result of that was good. God blessed that nation. And by the way, that is a principle right there that holds true to this day. Whether it be a nation, a people, or a person, when you seek God, when you rely on Him and you draw near to Him, you are strengthened and increased. But when you fall away from God, when you rely on any other source of strength, you are weakened and decreased in it. It's a spiritual principle. So the nation of Israel was blessed. Uh, he even had an army of like 500,000 men bearing sh shields and spears. 
And uh, now, the, again, this backstory is very important. At one uh, point, the king of Ethiopia came out uh, uh, with an army of a million men against them. Of course, so Asa uh, mustered his army, bringing them out in battle formation. But they're outgunned and they're outmanned. And uh, so Asa gives this prayer, and this prayer is a declaration of on whom he must and will rely. Here's his prayer. He says this, Help us, O Lord, our God, for in God we trust, and in your name we have come against this great multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. This is an amazing prayer. Uh, he's, he's declaring it boldly that he relies on the Lord. The Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, uh, and the Ethiopians fled. Uh, they carried away their great plunder and came to Jerusalem. Now, as they were returning to Jerusalem, a, the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet who came out to meet them with a word of the Lord. It's a good word, and it was this. He said, listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. Listen to me, he said. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. If you seek him, he will let you find him. Be strong and do not lose courage, for there is great reward in this. These words were so encouraging to Asa that he gathered all the people of uh, Judah and Benjamin and rededicated themselves to the Lord to, to seek after God with all of their heart and with all of their soul. All of that is backstory that brings us now to chapter 16. For he will encounter another trouble. Uh, it's not nearly so great as what he faced before, but this time... Whereas once he had relied on God to be a help against a vast army, but when the king of Israel in the north comes against him, instead of relying on God like he had done before, instead he relies on his own clever plan. And it is a clever plan. He's going to buy him, himself out of this trouble. He makes an alliance with the king of Syria, uh, of Aram, just north of Israel, uh, to purchase that help. And so as a result, God sent another prophet, Hanani, uh, with a word of the Lord. And that word which he brings is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, contains a correction but a promise. And uh, the principles that are found in this verse are principles you can build your life on. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. It's a life verse for me. You might want to write this down. It's such an important verse. Don't write it down on, on paper and pen. You're going to need a stone tablet and a chisel. This is such an important principle. Better yet, write it on your heart. So let's read it. We're in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. And read with me as we begin reading in verse 1. Now in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. In other words, a blockade, which itself is an act of war. So then, and here's the clever plan that Asa comes up with, Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and from the king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, or king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, same Damascus as today. And he said, let there be a treaty between you and me, 
as between my father and your father. Behold, I send you silver and gold. I send you money. Go, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad did it. He listened to King Asa, and he sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Eon and Dan and Abel-Maim and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came about that when Baasha heard of this, that he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped that work. And when King Asa, then he brought out all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building. And with them, he fortified Geba and Mizpah. Now, at that time, Hanani the seer, the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him this, a word of the Lord. Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And then the famous verse that I've been speaking of, verse 9 do you not know, he's saying, that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his? You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you surely will have wars. Now Esau was angry with the seer and put him in prison when he heard this, for he was enraged at him. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Uh, Asa is angry? He's the one who messed this thing up, and he's the one who's angry? I know a lot of people like that, actually. So these are the verses that I want us to look at, and they're very important, filled with promises, filled with principles for us to take hold of and apply to our lives, starting with this, that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth. In other words, God is looking for those that he can strongly support. You don't have to convince him. He is looking for those whose heart is completely his. He's looking for those, he's searching for those who will rely on him. When a vast army of a million comes out against Asa, he's crying out to God for help. Why? Because he's outgunned and outmanned. If God doesn't help, there is no help. See, in other words, many are like that. They, they cry out to God when they're out of options, as if God was the last option to choose. But God does not want to be the last option. That's the point of the story. God wants to be the first and the foremost option. So when Baasha, king of Israel in the north, comes out against Asa, he thought he could figure this out all on his own. He, he's going to rely on his own clever plan. I tell you, I've been in ministry for many years, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say when they've gotten into trouble, look, I just need to figure this thing out on my own. And my response is always the same. No, you won't figure this thing out on your own. It was you figuring things out on your own that got you into this trouble in the first place. You need to rely on God and not as your last option on your first option. Amen. See, Asa's plan was clever. All he needed to do was send money 
to the king of Aram there to make a treaty, an alliance between them. He's going to buy his way out of the trouble. It's very clever. Here's the problem. It worked. Didn't it work? He sent him money, break that treaty. He did. Didn't it work? But here's the problem. It brings up actually a great principle. And that principle is this. One of the worst things that could happen to a person is to do the wrong thing and win. One of the worst things that can happen to a person is to do the wrong thing and win. Uh, it, uh, it reminds me of uh, a time many years ago, a fellow came up to me and uh, asked if I would look at this uh, investment uh, opportunity that he was uh, having, and he knows I have a background in business, so he wanted me to look at it, and I said I would. So I looked at it, and uh, I said, uh, no, I don't believe this is a good thing at all. There are principles behind this that are not right. I just, I don't believe that you should do this thing. So he said, okay, thank you very much. Appreciate you saying that. And uh, so a few months I ran into him, and, and I said, hey, follow up. What, what happened with that thing you're talking about? And he said, well, I did it. You did it? He said, yeah, I did it, and it looks like it's going to work. And so I said, spiritual principle, one of the worst things that can happen to you, my friend, is to do the wrong thing and win. It was still the wrong thing. A few months later, I ran into him again, and I said, follow up, whatever happened to that deal? And he said, it all fell apart. It was an unmitigated disaster. I lost it all. I'll tell you what I know. God's word always stands true. Amen. See, what Asa discovered was that his own clever plan was far less than God's plan. God intended to give the army of the king of Aram to him as well. And now Asa is making a treaty with the very one that God wanted him to defeat. In other words, our clever plans are often so far less than what God desires to do in your life. Reminds me of that verse that Paul spoke to the church at Ephesus. Now unto him who is able to do far more exceedingly beyond all that we ask or even think. God wants to do far more than our plans. Far more than our clever plans. When I think about that, I, I think about a time in my own life um, when I first came to the Lord, I was very young, and uh, I, I was so excited, right? When, when, when God got a hold of my life, I felt that I was called to be a pastor, but I kind of dismissed it because I, I thought to myself, well, everybody thinks that. You know, when someone first comes to the Lord, they're so excited, they're so full of zeal. Of course, everybody thinks that, so I kind of dismissed it. But it was always there. And uh, many years later, I, had, uh, I, I was <clears throat> part of this business, but I had an opportunity to be a, like a youth leader, and then that grew, and then soon I had an opportunity to be like the youth leader, and then a door opened for me to be able to go to uh, ministry, but I needed to go to Bible college, which I could not afford. And I thought, how am I going to pay? I want to get a you know, good, solid Bible education, but I couldn't afford it private school and all. And so I came up with my plan. It was a clever plan. 
And uh, the plan was this. As I mentioned, I was part owner of a business, and we were making this deal. And I thought, oh, when we make this deal, my part will be worth, you know, so much more. And I'll sell that and take the profits and pay my way through school. God, I have it all figured out. And all he needs you to do is bless my plan, which, as you can imagine, he didn't. What happened was this. I remember this so very well. It was a Friday night. My partner was the one doing the negotiating for this deal. And uh, it was a Friday night. Uh, I was actually at a conference, and he was coming there too. And, and uh, he showed up a little late, and he drew me aside. This was at 6.30. I remember this so well. He drew me aside, and he said, I have to tell you, I killed the deal today. I think, you did? Why? He said, because I don't think these people have integrity. And I don't want to be in business with people who lack integrity. So I killed the deal, and I didn't call you because I knew as a Christian you would understand. And so I said, well, yes, of course I understand. And then I turned to the Lord like, what now? I felt like I just got punched in the stomach. What do I do? I can't. I can't afford this. I can't borrow this money as a pastor. I would never pay it back. What do I do? And so I, I, I started, that was my prayer. I started praying. That was Friday night. I heard this news. It was an all-day uh, prayer. God, I need a miracle. I need, a, I need you. I need a miracle. And so that I know that it's a miracle, and anyone I ever tell this story to knows it's a miracle, I'm not going to tell anyone I need this money. And then I went to bed Saturday at peace. Just, Lord, I lay it at your hands. If you want me, if you call me, I trust you. I'm at peace. Okay, that was Friday night, all day Saturday. Sunday morning, I come to church. I'm so excited to worship. I'm about 10 steps in the door, and a fellow stands in front of me like this, and he says, stop. I got to tell you something. God has put it on my heart this week that I'm supposed to pay your way through Bible college. I thought, God, your way is way better than mine. (laughs) And he meant every word of it. Well, Robin came forward a few years. Now I'm I'm going to Bible college. And uh, there was a speaker at chapel who was a captain of a mercy ship and uh, uh, talking about all that they do, going from port to port, acts of mercy, you know, a medical ship. And uh, I got so excited that I, I, I thought, I want to be a missionary on that mercy ship, right? So I met with the captain, and I gave him my heart. I always, I always had this romantic idea of the ocean, you know, and, and I said, I can be the Bible teacher, you know, on the ship, and, and teach the staff, and everyone who comes on, and, and uh, I gave him my story, and talked all about my heart, and everything. He heard all of that, and then he says, no, we don't want you to join us. And I thought, what? We're talking about me here. How could you say no? And he said, no. No, and here's why. Because I I don't think you're called to be a missionary. You're called to be a pastor. And he says, you know what? I believe God is going to use you as a pastor to do far more for missions than you could ever do for missions as a missionary. Well, He was so right. Well, first of all, this would have ended very poorly because I get seasick just looking at the ocean. It would have been an unmitigated disaster. 
God knows exactly what he was doing. And he's still right. Now today, we have been able to impact missions all over the world. There are like 30 churches just in the Congo that we are overseeing and raising up or teaching in the Word of God. We planted churches all over the world. We sent medical supplies in by the container to Russia, and God has used us in tremendous ways. Oh, God is always proven right. Amen? Let's give the Lord praise. Reminds me of that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, which means good. And not for calamity, to give you a future, to give you a hope. But I want us to see this out of this chapter, that God is seeking, God is searching. God is searching for those who seek him. He's, he, he's speaking of the seeking heart. For there is in the human soul a great longing, a great searching, because there's something missing in so many people. They, uh, people are looking for love. They're looking for significance. They're looking for meaning of life. They're looking for fulfillment. But there's, the problem is that they're looking in all the wrong places. For there's nothing out there in the world that will satisfy the desire for significance, for meaning of life, for the fulfillment of the soul's desire. The world appeals to the flesh. God satisfies the soul. God put that searching, God put that seeking heart in the human soul so that it might find its greatest desire to be satisfied in Him. Second Chronicles, I'm, I referred to it earlier, Second Chronicles 15, verse 2, the Spirit of, the, of God came upon Azariah, and he came out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. But notice, if you seek him, he will let you find him. It actually is a theme that runs through the Bible. You could do a study on that theme, that God wants you to seek him. Now, we know that God seeks sinners. God sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. But there's an aspect of the human soul where he says, I want you to seek. For when you find him, you will find joy. When you find him, you will find peace. When you find him, you will find that which God wants to do in your life is beautiful. He wants to give you a beautiful soul that will bring forth a beautiful life. I did not say an easy life. I did not say an easy life. I have walked through many, many troubles but I know that God has walked with me through them all. And his presence in my life changes everything. When God's presence is in your life, is it not beautiful? Think of the, think of the fruit of the Spirit that he, uh, Paul refers to in Galatians chapter 5. The result of the Holy Spirit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Is love not beautiful in the soul? Joy, my joy, not like the world gives, my joy, the joy of the Lord. Is that not beautiful on the soul? Peace, a peace that passes understanding, that guards the heart and mind. Is that not beautiful on the soul? And kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness 
For when God does that which is beautiful in your life, you find your pleasure in God, and God finds pleasure in you. That is actually another theme. I tell you, you could look through the Bible. You will see that's a theme that runs through the Bible as well. Notice, for example, what David wrote. This is uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 4. David said, God took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. There was a relationship between David and the Lord that was so near, so beautiful. David was a worshiper. And there was something beautiful there. He honored God. He worshiped God. And he said, God took pleasure in me and to make me king. You know, when I think about that, I, I'm reminded of uh, Eric Little. Many of you have heard his story, saw the movie Chariots of Fire. The movie is based on his life, of course. He was an Olympic runner, but he was also a strong Christian uh, who felt called to be a missionary. And he did become a missionary, but he was telling uh, someone about this at one point, And they said, well, if you're called to be a missionary, then why do you run? And he said, I run because God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I love that answer. I run because God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. There's something beautiful about that. And I'll add in my own life, God called me and made me a pastor. And when I teach his word, I feel his pleasure. There's something beautiful that God wants to do in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 to 9 speaks to it. Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Therefore, we have as our ambition, the desire of our lives. That's what ambition is, isn't it? We have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But with faith, God is well pleased. The heart that is completely his, the eyes of the Lord are searching to show himself strong, to strongly support people with a heart like that. The heart that is completely his is the heart that keeps seeking. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But keep seeking, longing for more, more of God in your life. When I think about that, I think about Moses. Uh, if you remember, uh, there was a point in time where he was interceding in behalf of Israel. And uh, while he was asking, he decided to ask for something for himself. Something personal. While I'm asking, could I just ask one more thing? Something for me? What would you ask God, if you could ask one thing, if you, if you said, just uh, one thing, if I could just ask one thing for me, what would you ask? You know what Moses asked? He's interceding. He's asking, you know, he's, he's pleading with God in behalf of Israel. And then he says, while I'm asking something more just for me, Show me your glory. Show me your glory. 
Why did he want that? Moses had seen more of God's glory than any human alive. And yet he wants more? Why? Would you not agree with me that Moses saw more of the glory of God than any person alive? I mean, he was on the a mountain there in the presence of the Lord those 40 days. And he was so near to the glory of God that there was actually a visible, physical radiance of glory on his face when he came down from the mountain. He saw more of God's glory than any living person. Why didn't he want more? Because he knew that glory of God is beautiful on the soul. I want more. Show me more. I know there's more. And God is looking to show himself strong, to strongly support people with a heart like that. You know the word, it says, uh, uh, in, in my version it says, he's looking for those whose heart is completely his. Now, that is the English word. The Hebrew word is a word you all know. We all know it very well. It's the word shalom, shalem, which means peace. I, I submit that the word shalom in the Hebrew is one of the deepest Hebrew words in their language. There's, it's far, far deeper than just a simple peace. It means peaceably made whole. It's speaking of the joy and the peace that is found in the nearness of God. That's beautiful. That's who God is looking for. God will show himself strong in behalf of those who are peaceably made whole. But I submit that people are not born with a heart like that. People are not born with a beautiful soul. But the good news is that hearts can be changed. But first, we must recognize that people are not born with a heart like that. People are born with a heart like this. This is Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to 10. Jeremiah is describing the condition of man. Listen to this. Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand this? I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, and give to each man according to his ways. What a description of the condition of man right there. The heart is more deceitful than above all else and is desperately sick. Okay, that's the biblical perspective on the condition in which man was born. I want to give you a quote that actually comes from a secular source, but it says a very similar thing. This actually comes uh, from a report created by the state of Minnesota. When I read this, I thought, oh, I got to write this down because this is so uh, consistent with the perspective of Jeremiah. And so what happened was this. The uh, state of Minnesota wanted to understand uh, the nature of criminals. They wanted to understand why do people become criminals. And so they put together what they call the Crime Commission. So I want to just quote to you some of it, not the whole, but some of it. And uh, it goes like this. Again, Minnesota Crime Commission. Here we go. Every baby starts life as a little savage. How's that for the beginning of the quote? 
Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy. Deny him these wants, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He is dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, and no skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. And if permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to those impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up to be a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. Is that not an amazing quote that's consistent very much with what Jeremiah was saying? Here's some good news, by the way. The good news is that hearts can be changed. The good news is that God put your children in your home to be with you, that you might raise your children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, that they would grow up to be men and women that are going to be giving glory to God with their lives transformed by Him. Amen? Let's give the Lord praise for that. See, if that is the condition in which man is born, and God wants to do that which is beautiful on the soul, something must change. Something must happen in a person's life. The good news is, hearts can be changed, eyes can be opened, hearts can be softened, hard hearts can be broken, stones can be moved, and thorns and thistles can be uprooted. How? Because something new happens. God opens eyes so that you see what you did not see before. He opens ears so that you hear what you did not hear before. That you understand what you did not understand before. And that you desire something far greater than you ever desired before. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, new things have come. These things, these new things. These things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Because you have been reconciled to God through Christ, He is doing that which is new in your life. These new things, these new things are beautiful. God is looking for people who desire that, that He might strongly support, that He might show Himself strong in their behalf. But would you notice this out of the story? Strength of faith brings strength of life. Strength of faith brings strength of life. God will strengthen you for the battle. He will strengthen you for the trouble. He will strengthen you for the difficulty. See, God showing himself strong in your behalf is one of the greatest promises known to man. But many have misunderstood some expect that when they call out to God that he will move to rescue and save and that it will be done immediately at the word of his command. Now, yes, I have seen God move quickly to rescue and to save and deliver. I can give you story after story of God's amazing deliverance 
how he rescued and saved. But I also have seen God walk with me through that trouble on a long journey. On a long journey, he walks with me to bring me out of it. For there is much to learn when the journey is long. When the journey is long, God is using it to strengthen you. Strength of faith brings strength of life. That you would be strengthened for the trouble. That you would be strengthened in the midst of it. That you would be strengthened for the battle of it. It's like this in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Why not? Because I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. Anxiously. Anxiety. Fear. Worry. Don't look about you with anxiety. Why not? Because I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Does that not say the same? God is looking for those who have a heart like that, that he might strongly support them. God is your help in time of trouble, and he will show himself strong in your behalf. But he will strengthen you to be in the midst of it. He will strengthen you to be in the midst of that trouble. He will rescue and save. He will be your help, but he will be your strength in it. It's like David. If, David under, if anyone understood this, it would be David. David understood the practical outworking of faith in the living out of that faith in the midst of the troubles of life. God, uh, David wrote, your help, God, makes me great. He said this in 2 Samuel 22, verse 30. He, he's relating this very principle. He says, by you, I can run upon a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. In other words, David is the one out there in the midst of the fight. David is out there in the midst of the trouble. And he says, by my God, I can run upon the troop. David is the one out there running upon the troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall in the midst of the battle. Like this, Psalm 27, verse 3. Though a host encamp against me. See, a host is a large number. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. David understood the practical living out of faith. In spite of a war arising, I will be confident. You know, you can look at David and say, if anyone was self-confident, it must be David. I submit to you that David was not self-confident. I submit further that God does not want you to be self-confident either. You say, he doesn't want me to be self-confident? What does he want me to be? He wants you to be confident in him. God confidence is a whole nother thing altogether. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. See, when David was a young lad and his father sent him to check on his older brothers who were in the army of Israel, when he arrived in the, in the camp, he heard the taunts of that Philistine giant, Goliath, and he became incensed. Why? Is, will no one rise up? Is there no one who can fight him? And he's incensed at this. Ought someone rise up? Will no one rise up? 
Now, would you notice what David did not say? David did not say, well, God fights my battles. I, I will be back there watching the sheep. That's not what David says. Will no one arise to fight him? See, David understood. Strength of faith means strength of life. David understood. Strength of faith means strength of life. I will fight him. Get me out there in the battle. If no one will arise, I will arise. Get me out there. And when he, when he stood against that giant, that speech that he gave that day laid it all bare. We saw David's faith when he gave that great speech. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 46. He's answering, of course, the taunts of that Philistine giant. And he answers with one of the great speeches in human history. One of the great speeches declaring what faith really is. This is just part of it. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and so that all this assembly may know. And you can almost imagine him looking at the army of Israel behind him. You must know this too. Now the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. The battle is the Lord's, and he will do it. He will give you into our hands. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for people with a heart like that, with faith like that, that he might show himself strong, that he might strongly support them. Church, the eyes of the Lord are searching today. Would you say to the Lord, I want a heart like that. I want more. I want more of God in my life. I want a soul that you make beautiful because of your glory and your presence in my life. I want your strong support. I need you. I want a relationship with God like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for you revealed to us such great promises as this that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, looking for people whose hearts is like that, who find their pleasure in God. God finds pleasure in them, desiring that God would do that which is beautiful in the soul, that they would arise in their faith, relying on God to strengthen them in the midst of the troubles of this world. God is searching. Church God is searching today to show himself strong, looking for people with hearts like that. How many would say today to the Lord, I want that. I want a relationship to God like that. I want more. I want more of God in my life. Lord, you do that which is beautiful in my soul. I want my soul to find its pleasure in God and God to find pleasure in me. I want a relationship to God like that. Church, is that you? God, the eyes of the Lord are searching. Even now.
Would you say to the Lord, I want a relationship to God like that? Would you say, I'm going to ask that you would just raise your hand. It's a way of prayer. It's a way of just asking God. Would you just raise your hand to the Lord and ask, I want a relationship to God like that? You can raise both hands to the Lord if you want. It's a way of asking, God, I want a relationship to you like that. You can do that which is beautiful on my soul. I want more of you in my life. I want more of your glory, more of your presence. I trust you. I rely on you. I'll build my foundation on this rock. Lord, we love you and honor you for it. In Jesus' powerful name, and everyone said, can we give the Lord praise and glory and honor? Amen. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.